Welcome, everybody. This is Don Shu for 26.1 AI Podcast, coming to you from Create33 in Seattle. Create33 is a founder-focused co-working solution associated with Madrona Ventures, one of Seattle's largest uh, venture capital groups. Um, today, we have Algorithmia founder and CTO Kenny Daniel. Kenny is fresh off of a $25 million Series B raise that completed in May. Um, prior to founding Algorithmia with Diego Oppenheimer, Kenny built out image recognition systems for Delectable, a wine app. Um, he, under, he attended undergrad at Carnegie Mellon with his fellow founder, Diego. Currently, Kenny is on leave from a doctorate program at USC where he researched AI and mechanism design. Personally, I'm indebted to Kenny for being one of Puppy's first celebrity speakers when Algorithmia was making headlines as one of Seattle's hottest new startups. Welcome, Kenny. Thanks to be on, Don and Brian. Welcome, Kenny. Welcome, and I hear you and Don are in the same room together in Seattle, and I'm down in LA. Can you just give us a quick background on kind of how you got here today and what you're, you know, what led you to be here in the seat right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as Don mentioned, you know, my, my background uh, for a while, I, w I was in academia studying AI and machine learning, among other things. Uh, and it was during my time there that, that a lot of these ideas sort of started to format in my head. Um, you know, myself and my colleagues uh, in academia, we were developing these new algorithms and these new models, uh, you know, on a constant basis and, and working really hard to, you know, develop them, write about them, present them in conferences and, and get the word out. But I, I got increasingly frustrated by, um, I got increasingly frustrated by seeing all these tools and, and really important things being built that could be useful in the real world, but not actually getting out into the hands of people who could use it. Um, and seeing that, uh, there was a number of challenges that sort of led into that. But as I started talking with my co-founder, Diego, uh, so he's the CEO, I'm the CTO of Algorithmia. Um, he came at it from the industry point of view. So he was working here at Microsoft. Uh, that's our Seattle connection as a company. And so he saw it from the industry side of things, of the challenges of adopting uh, AI and machine learning, uh, even at a giant company like Microsoft that has a lot of resources. So you can only imagine how much more difficult it's going to be at you know a smaller company company or a company that's not even necessarily a tech company, but could still really benefit from, from these sorts of things that are being built. So with that as sort of the, 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 the initial idea that, that led to these discussions, you know, we started talking about what could we do to make uh, algorithms, data science, machine learning, and AI more accessible? What are the challenges that are being faced by both the developers of, of these tools and by the companies that want to use them? And that was where we started going down this, this road of sort of infrastructure and, and tools and, and services around AI and machine learning. And I certainly know firsthand that it can be a challenge to deploy uh, machine learning models in production. And it sounds like you have experienced this as well. Um, can you speak a little bit more to that? What are a couple examples of the software practices or the ML practices that um, you've seen happen in the past? And what are you guys doing to remedy those? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's a wide variety of how people approach this problem. Um, but ultimately, the fact of the matter is that, you know, people, data scientists, machine learning experts and engineers, uh, they spend years learning uh, to, to do their job, learning the math, learning the models, learning how to work with data, how to engineer features and things like that. It's a very, very different challenge than taking those models and making them scalable and reliable and, you know, available as an API that can be hooked into you know, a company's backend data pipeline or hooked up to, you know, iOS apps that want to recognize images or, or whatever the use case is. Uh, it, it's a very different challenge and a very different set of tools where data scientists and, and machine learning engineers are often going to be working in tools like Jupyter Notebook in an interactive environment and, and exploring and experimenting uh, with the data and the parameters and the things like that. Uh, when they get to a point where they're happy with their model, you need to deploy it somehow. Uh, and so the question is, how do you do that? And there's a number of ways that you do that. Different companies have different approaches. Some will tell the data scientists that they're responsible for, you know, building and scaling their own models. Uh, others will have a, you know, an ops team or, or, or a team dedicated to, to productionizing these models. But then it's sort of a challenge of, you know, not the same person who's creating the model is the one deploying it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of challenges that come with that. Stepping into that, um, talking about sort of these different paradigms, different orgs may use. Um, in their approach to deploying AI. May I ask a question about data engineer? Um, I think it's a, it's a job title that's pretty new. I, I kind of heard it percolating up maybe about 18 months ago. It seems like it's one of the hottest jobs out there now. Um, is this a uh, position that is here to stay or is it going to go away with um, tools like Algorithmia and all the other companies that are trying to make AI easier to deploy? Um, no, I, I absolutely think that it's a thing that's here to stay. Uh, this tends to, in my opinion, this is the trend of uh, just computing in general. Uh, whereas, you know, in the earlier days of computing and, and you know, building cloud and, and services and applications, uh, you might have more, you know, what we call full stack engineers, somebody who does the whole thing. Um, and that's still true to some extent today, but as you get more mature and organizations are bigger and the projects are bigger, you get specialization. So in the same way as today, you have uh, you know, application developers, you have uh, DevOps, you have SREs, and you, know, you have all these things which specialize and focus on their one part of the thing. I expect that we're going to see even more of that uh, coming in the world of data science and machine learning as people recognize that there is this whole life cycle of machine learning. Uh, the first phase of that is arguably data, getting the data, organizing it, cataloging it, um, you know, making sure that it's available. Uh, this is something that's been going on for, you know, the past two decades with everybody talking about, uh, you know, building these data, uh, you know, lakes and data, data, you know, collections and all that. But that's only the first step. Once you have that data collected, you need to make sense of it and you need to make things actionable. Uh, and so then there's, you know, it's the, the data scientists, the machine learning engineers come in and that's that's their job to engineer the features and work with the data that's been collected and things like that. Uh, and then uh, similar to sort of by analogy with more traditional software development, uh, there's a deployment challenge, which I think in and of itself can be, uh, you know, an area of expertise. And that's really where algorithmia comes in. So we don't focus as much on the early stages of uh, machine learning like cycle around data and engineering, feature engineering, and those sorts of things, we try to focus on the challenges around how do you actually, uh, you know, take the build the models, take those models and, and 
you know, make them available in production and integrate them with products and, you know, get actual return on investment from them. So a couple of things come to mind when, so certainly the data engineer role is important when you guys cover that well. What are your thoughts on some of the varied roles of, you know, the data scientist role? I mean, there's a joke that a data scientist is nothing more than a statistician from San Francisco at one time. But in, uh, in all honesty, you know, Gardner came out and they said there's this classification of a maverick data scientist and there's also a citizen data scientist. And then there's these you know, corporate line of service ones and then your enterprise data scientists. And those four entities, how, what are your thoughts on that distinction? Is there a distinction and how well you know, do we serve those different roles? Uh, and particularly the, the citizen data scientists too. What are your thoughts on that as a data scientist? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in a certain sense, I think that those are the same role applied in sort of different ways or in different applications or maybe by different personas. Um, maybe maybe that's the distinction there. Uh, I, I absolutely think it's great that we're seeing things like citizen data science and, and you know, people recognizing that, uh, you know, you, you can do these things, uh, you know, as one person and it's extremely impactful uh, in the same way as, you know, the early days of the Internet, you know, a single person could create enough program or a website and, you know, have a really huge impact. I think we're still in the early days of data science where, you know, there's low hanging fruit. There's, there's data sets available that nobody's even really looking at. And it's just a matter of, you know, applying some of these methods and tools and techniques that have been built over the years to uh, any of the massive amount of data that's been being made available on the internet. And otherwise uh, I'm really excited to see what comes out of all that. But I, I've got a follow on for that. Um, talking about personas, you had mentioned Diego had come from the industry side and, and kind of um, he had the customer investigation in pocket, sounds like, at the founding. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a typical algorithmia um, customer persona that represents a big chunk of the folks seeking help from you, can you describe what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so largely it's about maturity in terms of not as a company, but in terms of their, their machine learning approach. Um, most companies, uh, especially large companies and, you know, the, the majority of our company uh, customers today are, are in the Fortune 500 and, and large enterprises, uh, although not exclusively by any means. Uh, but I think one of the reasons why that's been sort of the way that our customers have skewed is because uh, in many cases, they've spent years, uh, first of all, acquiring a lot of really valuable data. Uh, in many cases, they're going to have teams of machine learning researchers and data scientists that are trying to uh, make sense of this data and, and create actionable uh, tools from it. Uh, but in many cases, we see that they're really struggling for many of the reasons that I was saying before, where, you know, we'll hear about data scientists who have been working on a problem for a year or two years, and they may have even succeeded in building models with, you know, very good accuracy, you know, 90 plus accuracy or whatever at the, at the domain they're working on. Uh, but they haven't even been able to get any of their models in production. Uh, in some cases, we hear that uh, these companies tried to build a homebrew solution. Uh, you know, maybe they have tools for deploying APIs and services internally, but what they don't necessarily realize at the outset is that there's a lot of uh, characteristics that are unique to data science and machine learning workloads, which are not necessarily amenable to the existing uh, infrastructure tools uh, and, and services that are available. Um, just for some fairly clear examples of that, um, 
specialized hardware like GPUs. Uh, if you're not using GPUs uh, to accelerate uh, deep learning models, uh, you're probably, they're not going to be running nearly as fast. And so if you look at various uh, services, uh, most of them are not going to support GPUs. It's an it's extremely challenging technological uh, problem to, to, to share GPUs just because of, they weren't really designed for this purpose. They were designed to make games run fast and, and look pretty. Uh, it was only later that people realized like, hey, that, that same ability to uh, render graphics is basically just matrix operations. It's the same thing that's, that's the bread and butter of deep learning. And so people started using the specialized hardware, but it wasn't designed for the cloud. It wasn't designed to be multi-tenant. It wasn't, you know, designed with the, the same sort of memory constraints and, and controls that you have in sort of system memory. And so these are a lot of the problems that we try to solve at a technological level with Algorithmia is making sure that we can support the latest hardware and the latest deep learning frameworks like TensorFlow and PyTorch. Um, another interesting kind of point about supporting these in an environment is, um, you know, people say, oh, well, why not just create a Docker image and, and just ship it off like you would any other service? Um, but the problem with that comes in is, again, the, well, to, related to the GPUs, um, people treat Docker as if it's a very lightweight VM, uh, but it's not. It is a container. And if you have multiple containers on the same system, they're all sharing the same Linux kernel. And so anything that lives in the Linux kernel, which includes here GPU drivers for NVIDIA, for example, uh, that abstraction of Docker starts to break down. And so suddenly you can't look at it as just this idealized lightweight VM. You have to recognize that it's really multiple applications running on the same machine. And so that presents many problems that, that again, you know, we, we work to solve. And it's not that it's insurmountable problems. I think you know many most of these companies could solve these problems if they dedicated enough engineering resources. But the question is, is why? Um, when they could be focused on you know their core business, they should have their data scientists focused on building models that are specific to their vertical and applicable to their use case, not just figuring out how to run TensorFlow on a GPU. So that's that's a good highlight of one of some of the challenges with the technology for for sure. Um, I'd also like to hear the flip side of that. What is the people factor that makes it difficult for these models to go into production? Are you seeing any challenges around education of the business audience or education of the general populace about prediction or things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that there, there's different stories with, with different people at different levels. Um, you know, there's there's the people who are higher up in the company who are asking themselves, you know, what what is our ML strategy as a company? Uh, because, you know, they're hearing it all the time that, that this is the future. Um, and I mean, I, I agree that in the modern age, it would be crazy to run a business without the internet and a website and using technology to accelerate it. Um, in the very near future, it's going to be the same with machine learning. If you are not using machine learning and AI uh, to help optimize and accelerate your business, you're inevitably going to lose to your competitors who do. And so all of these companies are asking, whether they understand machine learning or not, you know, what, what is our story around this? Uh, and so they, there's a lot of questions around that at the high level of what is our best practice for our story. At the lower level, starting to talk about data scientists and machine learning engineers, um, you know, they're, they're doing what they're doing. And in many cases, they're doing a really good job of, of building these models, but they're, it doesn't have the sophistication of software engineering that more traditional software does. 
So in the same way as if you're building an API or you're building a web app or you're building a service, there's all of these best practices and tools and, and infrastructure and applications that you can use to make your life simple, life better. Um, some of these are, are really basic things like Git and source control. Uh, others are things like uh, continuous integration and continuous deployment. Um, you know, all, all these sorts of things that nowadays, if you were trying to start you know, a company and you were building an application and you weren't using source control and you weren't using CI, CD, uh, you'd be laughed out of the room. I mean, it's just table stakes, best practices in that world. But when you look at the world of machine learning and data science, it's largely absent. Um, there's plenty of companies we talk to and we ask, you know, hey, so your, your data scientists are building these models. You know, how are they keeping track of their changes and, and the, the iterations on how they got there? And you know, a lot of them aren't even using Git to, to source control, uh, you know, their, their Jupyter notebooks and their things like that to see, you know, how, how did they build the model? Uh, and so part of our mission and part of, I think, what we'll be seeing in the next few years in the industry is just more sophistication in the software engineering side of things. So better, more best practices, uh, you know, more specialization and recognizing that, you know, you can be really, really good data scientist, but not know the first thing about how to make an elastic scalable API uh, that people can rely on. Uh, so I think that's, that's a lot of what we're going to see in the near future. I, I suspect Brian will come back um, to address some of the parallels you brought up about CICD, for example, and um, between traditional software engineering and, and ML. I want to touch on really quickly before I forget about the business aspect of um, ML and what you brought up is the competitive landscape. And one goal of 26.1 is to reach um, business leaders and get them updated on what's going on and who's practicing AI. Um, what's your sense as a founder of um, business leaders and how they view this competitive landscape? What's their calendar look like in terms of how soon they have to get on the truck, so to speak, and get shipping? So there's a pretty wide variety, um, and you know that's definitely one of the things that we try to feel out as we're as we're talking to customers and looking there is you know are are they serious about this? Have they thought put deep thought into this? And you know are, is it a serious business initiative, or is it a situation of hey we heard about this machine learning thing, uh, you know what is our story? Uh, obviously the latter is not going to be as compelling because ultimately the best stories are where you find the right algorithm, the right data, and paired with the right business. And the right product, and the results are, can be staggering. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys can think of examples where uh, if machine learning enabled a company to either one do something much less expensively uh, than than it otherwise would have, uh, which is obviously going to be a huge win. Or, you know, obviously more exciting is uh, enabling them to do things that that they otherwise couldn't do. Um, I'll go back to you know just the company that I worked at. Before Algorithmia, just because I have personal experience with it, uh, it was a company called Delectable. It was a wine app. And uh, the premise of it was is that you would use your phone to take a picture of the wine you were drinking. It would recognize uh, what wine you're drinking and add it to your personal list. You can rate it as I like it, I don't like it, and you can buy it uh, right through the app. So when I joined the company, they were doing this all by hand. They were literally shipping every image uh, that came into the app to a team whose entire job was to look at the image, search through a list of wines, and select the one. Uh, this, would pro this process would take minutes, not seconds, and then the user would receive a push notification on their phone about what the wine was and if they wanted to buy it. So when I came into the company, my job was basically to bring AI and machine learning to this to make this 
scalable and feasible. And it accomplished both of those goals in the sense that one, it reduced their cost dramatically uh, because obviously calling an API costs less than a penny, whereas you know sending an image to be classified by, by a human is, is not going to be so cheap and so easy. Um, but furthermore, it also just fundamentally changed the nature of the business because instead of sitting at dinner, drinking wine with my friends, and I get notification about the wine five minutes later, once it was hooked up to AI and machine learning, you could go to a wine store and walk down the aisle and just hold your phone up and recognize you know, each bottle on the shelf and get reviews and feedback and rec personal recommendations. So it both saved the company a huge amount of money and it enabled new use cases that would have been otherwise impossible. Uh, so obviously this is a pretty small example in, in the scheme of things, but I think it really shows how the right use case with the right business is a huge impact. So what is your thoughts on um, and I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit about the other AutoML efforts. You know, GCP certainly has some right now. And, you know, there's H2O and Data Robot and, you know, and not just AutoML, but transfer learning in general and reusability. How is that going to play? you know, into what you just said about the value of algorithms. Yeah, well, so I think that there's a couple different things in there. So, I mean, one aspect is the, the different techniques uh, on, on how to approach it. You know, you mentioned things like AutoML and, and you know, var various things along those lines. And, you know, uh, those will just continue. There will be research advances and things will get better accuracy, requiring less computational resources to train and, and work on bigger data. Uh, and that's all super exciting. And really, that, that benefits everybody. It, it lifts all boats in a certain sense. As the research advances, it, it helps every company, both on the uh, infrastructure side and the companies that are using this AI and machine learning, uh, really benefit from all of that. To your question about sort of the, the, the broader market and the competitive landscape, um, I think that there's different different angles. So first of all, this, this space is growing so aggressively that in a certain sense, it's a land grab uh, in, in a greenfield space. So uh, we don't worry excessively about competitors in that sense, uh, because there's so much opportunity here. That being said, um, you know, Data Robot is obviously going to be formidable. They just raised a bunch more money. And so they're, they're definitely going down this road. Um, I think something like $200 million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, they're focused a little bit earlier in sort of the machine learning lifecycle in the sense that they're a little bit more focused on the exploration of data and the sort of the training of the models and the building of the models. Um, they're a little bit less focused on, on the, uh, the deployment and the infrastructure side, uh, although they're starting to look at that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about kind of natural language processing problem classes like that and word to vec and, you know, have we reached a plateau yet with some of this, uh, the actual... Uh, machine learning has become commoditized to some degree. And what is the shift now towards feature engineering and application um, that, you know, that can resolve some of that, you know, innovation ask at the same time? Yeah, well, to your point about personas, I mean, I think that that is an important point that it's different people who are advancing the state of the art in models. You know, you hear about things like, you know, GPT, GPT-2 and BERT and all these things that come out and, you know, get headlines and they're super cool technology and they quickly actually get adopted by practitioners. But, you know, the researchers building those models are very rarely the same people as the data scientists who are using those models to you know, apply to the real world. Uh, and it is more frequently going to be things like feature engineering and exploration and, and experimentation uh, on the part of the data scientist. I would agree with that. The, the other thing that I see where you're going with everything is um, 
addressing maybe a big anxiety in AI right now is the observability of what's going on under the hood. And a lot of that is because there's so little standardization. Um, is, is that something that you think you'll be helping in the future? Uh, yeah, so I think it depends a lot on the use case. Um, there are applications where explainability, if you don't have explainability, you can't use the model. Uh, so I, I very uh, enthusiastically follow a lot of that research because it's interesting. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of use cases where that's not necessarily uh, the case, that explainability is that important. Um, in many cases, it's going to be more about results and you know accuracy on, on the, the domain that you're targeting. Uh, and you know, just because something is explainable doesn't mean that it's not doing the wrong thing. And so I think that the focus should be more on making sure that the models are doing the right thing, that they are not, you know, causing problems, obviously, but explainability isn't a magic solution to that. Um, so I would say that that's going to be part of the solution. Uh, it's not going to be all of it. Related to explainability, but a little bit subtly different, but I think in a certain sense more important to a lot of enterprise customers is not explainability of the models, but accountability for how they were generated and, and where these things are coming from. Uh, and, you know, we, we work with companies, you know, say large financial companies that say, you know, we can't use a model unless we know exactly how it was generated. And so that goes back to the point I was making of, you know, people need to be adopting better best practices around this. They need to be source controlling the code that generates their models, not just the models themselves. Uh, you know, there need to be versioning on the models of, you know, historical versions of, you know, here, here's the evolution of this model over time so that we can see, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Uh, you know, are there subsets of the data that used to perform well, but now are not? Yeah, this is, yeah, this has been great. And I'd like to give you a chance, just a, a final note, maybe a sentiment or a leave behind um, as we want to keep this down to 26.1 minutes, um, kind of a, you know, where, are you, where, what is your final mark on this one? And, you know, what are you, what are you thinking of the future is here with this? Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, ultimately we're really excited uh, about just where the space is headed. Uh, we got, Lucky in a certain sense that I've been obsessed with AI and machine learning since high school, honestly, you know, re reading books and Penrose and all, all those things. Uh, and so we were an AI and machine learning company really before the recent sort of uh, hype trend, we'll call it, um, started. And so I, I don't think it's just hype, though. I think that uh, the point I was making earlier, this is going to be hugely impactful to businesses uh, in the same way that the Internet and networked computing was. And so for us to be in on the ground level, uh, you know, ahead of the game, talking about best practices and infrastructure and scaling uh, and then seeing firsthand a lot of these companies that are recognizing that this is going to be important. They're taking it seriously and they're trying to figure out, you know, what is our machine learning story and how is how are we going to leverage this? Uh, I mean, that's a really exciting place to be in. And uh, it's going to be really exciting to see where the industry goes. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on AI Podcast. You can reach us at ai-podcast.com or find us on Spotify or iTunes. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon.